you're listening to the LP Podcast. Now here's your host, Layton Crater. Well, 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 well. College football has a new national champion. How about them dogs? Georgia wins the national championship over Alabama, 33-18. They take down Goliath and Nick Saban in the Alabama Crimson Tide. Stetson Bennett, the story to remember, the game to remember, their national championships. National champions, rather, I should say. Look at me not knowing how to talk. NFL Week 18 regular season wraps up with the playoffs just on the horizon. We'll talk Chargers Raiders. What a finale to the end of the season. Talk a little bit about that. We've got Cowboys Niners this weekend. Cowboys fans, you should probably be worried, but that's just me. we got a lot to talk about. College football is over. Playoffs begin for the NFL. Lot, lot to dig into. We'll get you set for the playoffs this weekend, and we'll break down some of those matchups along with Monday night's national championship. This is the LP Podcast. I am Leighton Prater. You can follow me on Twitter at Prater Leighton and follow the show at underscore LP Podcast. You can find the show on Spotify and iTunes. So we have a new national champion, and it's the Georgia Bulldogs. The last three national champions have come out of the SEC. LSU, Ed Orgeron, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, perhaps maybe the best college football team ever. Last year, you have Alabama taking down Ohio State, Mac Jones, Najee Harris, all those guys up front. And then this year, you have Georgia, the team that was touted. They were number one all year, perhaps one of the best defenses we've ever seen in college football, guys all over the field. The question was always the offense for Georgia. And I won't lie to you, I had George, I had Alabama pick to win this game. That is true, I did. Because in my mind, until you beat the undisputed champ, I have a hard time picking against them. And frankly, who wouldn't have a hard time picking against Alabama, given all the success they've had over the last 10 years with Nick Saban? But it happened. And we know, <clears throat> excuse me, we know that this wasn't the best Alabama team they've had in the last couple of years. That's that's no secret. They've got a dynamic young quarterback, a guy who will, without a doubt, be a first-round pick and perhaps the number one overall pick when he is drafted. And Bryce Young, Alabama is always good. They had they have skill guys. Now, granted, a lot of them were hurt in this game. They're without John Mechie going into this game. They lose Jamison William, who is projected to be a first-round pick at wide receiver. He tears his ACL in the game, we learned, uh, following the conclusion of that game. So we can sit here and talk about why Alabama lost. But I think we would be doing a disservice to Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs if we took that angle. Because what a story for this Georgia team. And there's something poetic when the team that was the number one team all year, they never really left the top, the top spot in any of the polls, AP poll, college football playoff poll, none of that. USA, they were always typically number one. And so there's something poetic about it when you begin the year at number one and you finish the year on top. There's something to be said about that. 
But there's so many layers to this Georgia team and this story. I mean, go back. How long has Georgia been really relevant? Matthew Stafford, 10, 15 years ago, perhaps even longer, was there. A.J. Green was there. Todd Gurley, Nick Chubb, Aaron Murray, Justin Fields transferred out of there. Jake Fromm was there. They had a championship won in 2017 against this Bama team. Had it not been for some freshman named Tua Tagovailoa coming in for Jalen Hurts and throwing a walk-off touchdown pass. This team's a national champion in 2017, had it not been for that. But they finally got their due on Monday, and they deserved it. They earned it. Because make no mistake, if you watch that game on TV, and I can't imagine what it was like in person in Indianapolis, that felt like a home game for Georgia. It really did. And for a team, and really for a state that has been plagued with the inability to close games out. We know about the Falcons and their their struggles against Tom Brady and the Patriots in 2016 when they lost that Super Bowl, you know, leading 28 to 3. We know about the Atlanta Braves, all the, you know, the pennants they won, the division pennants they won in the 90s <clears throat> and things like that, and they only walked away with one World Series. We know the struggles that the Braves have had in this in the last 20 years. They've struggled to win playoff games, to win a playoff series. Well, this year they did it. The Braves were world champions. They won the World Series. And now the Georgia Bulldogs are on top of college football. And really at the center of it all, you could look at the defense, and there are first-round guys all over that team, all over that defense. Make no mistake, especially in the front seven. No question the best front seven defensively in college football in the last several years. Certainly rivals anything that Alabama has had over their time. But the center of it all is Stetson Bennett. A preferred walk-on, a guy that came to Georgia, left, went to go play junior college football. They asked him to come back. He says, nah, let me think about it. Decides to come back. And then he gets buried under Jake Fromm and Justin Fields. And then they bring in JT Daniels. So he's down at the bottom of the depth chart again. And he sticks around. And all year, we questioned whether or not this offense for Georgia was going to be good enough to get them where they wanted to go. And those questions still came up during the first half of this national championship. This is a field goal kicking contest for the majority of the game. And there were people in the middle of this game calling to put JT Daniels in over Stetson Bennett. And when it mattered most, he made plays. And it's such a story for a guy that it encapu- and, and honestly, Stetson Bennett will probably never play a snap of NFL football. More than likely he won't. But it doesn't matter. Because he's immortalized forever in Athens. And I think to a lot of guys, that means more than ever getting to play in the NFL. And I don't want to diminish what it means to play professional football in the National Football League. Not at all. But listen, to win a national championship at a program that has not won one in over four decades, and you slay the giant for the last 10, 12 years, he will never buy another drink. Never. He might go on and 
you know, be very successful in the real world. He's a smart kid. He's well-spoken. And I, if you haven't seen the clip of him on Good Morning America the next day, the man is still half drunk. That's not hungover. He's still drunk. I don't know what SID thought that was a good idea to put him on national television the morning after he was running around that town. But nevertheless, the story of Stetson Bennett really encapsulates the identity of the Georgia football team. Tough, gritty, relentless. And that's what they were. And the final score, while it was 33-18, to that game was actually a lot closer than what the final score would lead you to believe. Had it not been for the late pick six made by Bryce Young, this game's a lot different. You know, this is a 26-18 game. And when Georgia really started to pick up the tempo was when they began to run the football. And they weren't early on. Stetson Bennett looked rattled. Offensively, they looked completely shot. They looked like who we thought they were on offense. All the fears that people had with Georgia and the questions they had. We know the defense is good. Can they score enough? All those fears started to come to realizations. This is going to become a defensive game. And if it is, well, then Georgia might have the edge. But in the same breath, this is, this is Alabama. We saw what happened in the SEC title game. They did not stand a chance against Bryce Young in this offense. And really, when you look at Alabama and you look at their game plan going in to this game offensively, it, it, to me, it's very reminiscent of what the Super Bowl between the Bucks and the Chiefs looked like. We knew going in to that Super Bowl last year that Brady and the Bucks, that team was surrounded around defense. We knew all the stars they had offensively. They had Tom, they had Mike Evans, they had Gronk, they had Leonard Fournette, Chris Godwin, all these guys. Antonio Brown was on that team. But we knew that the defense was really the center of what that team was built around. And then offensively, for the Chiefs, we they have Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. Defensively was the question for the Chiefs. And that's very much a mirror image of what we saw on Monday night between Alabama and Georgia. If you compare the Bucks and Georgia, both defenses, fantastic, stout, top of the class. Offensively, we know they have talent, but it's not really the focal point of their team. And if you compare Kansas City and Alabama, we know the offense is good, but it can be inconsistent. We know it's otherworldly, but it might not always be there. Defensively, they have talent, but it's not really quite up to what their standard, what they typically are. And if you think back to that Super Bowl last year, the Chiefs never adjusted. There was no adjustments made. They continued to stick with, stay the course and stick with their game plan, expecting a different result. And it burned them. And that's where Alabama found themselves as well offensively on Monday night. They continued to do the same thing. They had trouble running the ball, understandably so. Again, we talked about the Bulldogs front seven. We knew it, would be, it was going to be a challenge to run the football. And offensively, in the past game, losing Mechie hurts. Losing Jameson Williams hurts. Agreed. I don't... I don't disagree with that. You lose your top two receivers in the National Championship game. That's hard. That's really, really hard. And Bryce Young, man, he's so damn impressive. The ability to read defenses. He was getting knocked around for a lot of that game. 
pressured on every snap. Not a lot of time to throw the ball at all. And he was accurate on nearly every throw he made. But they couldn't they couldn't catch. They couldn't catch the football. And when we talk about a lack of adjustments for Bama in that game, I, I, I present to you that last drive when they're down 26-18, the drive in which Young threw that pick that kind of sealed it for Georgia. They threw three consecutive go routes. Just get down the field, three verticals in a row. And the pass prior to the interception that sealed it, Bryce Young hit a receiver in the hands. He hit him, and he couldn't come up with it. That would have put them inside, I believe, the 15-yard line with about a minute to go and three timeouts. That game looks vastly different if that catch is made. And it's not. But Bama's not going anywhere. If you look at every poll look next season, every ranking, they're already back at the top, and they should be. But big picture... Georgia's got some runway here. It was the major, last major hump that Kirby Smart and this program had to get over to really establish themselves as one of the premier, and it's not that they weren't already one of the premier college football programs in the country. I'm not saying that. But now that they have the national championship behind them and they have that in their in their back pocket saying, hey, we did this, we slayed the dragon, it now puts them in that next tier of Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama. And Clemson will come back, and Ohio State's fine. They're going to be all right. Bama's not going anywhere. I'm very curious to see what LSU does with Brian Kelly down there. I think they're going to get turned around very quickly. I, I have faith in Brian Kelly, despite you know some of the odd things he's doing with a fake accent and the, and the music videos, whatever. I think LSU is going to be fine. But I think there's two sleeping giants in college football right now that nobody is really addressing a whole lot of. And maybe they are a little bit. But in my estimation, USC and Texas A&M are right behind everybody else. They're right there. And listen, we've heard this before about both these programs. I don't disagree with that. But Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher has done a hell of a job recruiting there. They just had the best the best recruiting class ever. That's consensus. That's across the board. USC, they have Lincoln Riley. They are getting recruits left and right. Guys are decommitting and going out to Southern California, as they should. They're probably going to land Caleb Williams, who's in the transfer portal. Of course, he was the quarterback at Oklahoma this season. He took the job from Spencer Rattler under Lincoln Riley. Jackson Dart. From USC. Now he's in the transfer portal. We can kind of connect dots. It's speculation, I understand. But in the next two years, those are the two programs I'm looking at that have a serious ability to thrust themselves into the national championship conversation and into the college football conversation routinely in the next three to four years. It might not be next year. And I think USC is probably a step behind where A&M is in terms of that chase. But USC is coming fast. When that program is right, they are right there at the top in the upper echelon of programs. Like I just said, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State. They're right there. But good for the Georgia Bulldogs. Good for Stetson Bennett. Good for Kirby Smart taking down Nick Saban. And you heard after the game, that meeting at the, at, you know, at the middle of the field, 
Nick Saban comes up and said, man, you guys kicked our ass in the fourth quarter. Yeah, Georgia did. And you don't hear that very often from Nick Saban, hardly ever. That should alone show you the respect that Kirby Smart and that Georgia Bulldog team has garnered from Nick Saban and what they should, if they haven't already, garner from the rest of college football. Good for Georgia. Well, the NFL season, the regular season, is officially drawn to a close. Had a lot of great games, a lot of interesting games, wild scenarios going down. The Colts completely blow a game against a 2-14 and 14 Jacksonville team. That is not what I saw coming for that team. I have, I was shocked. I'd, I'd, I had my reservations about Carson Wentz, but I, I didn't think that they would get beat by 25 points or 15 points or whatever it was. I believe it was 26-11, some weird score like that. That lost, they're out. That opens the door for Pittsburgh to come in after they beat Baltimore in overtime, and that all completely sets up for Sunday Night Football, Raiders Chargers. My goodness. Could you have scripted a better game to end the NFL regular season? The first week 18 ever in the NFL. I don't know if you could have. My goodness, what a game. And, yeah, to talk about the tie is fun. The tie would have been cool. It would have kicked Pittsburgh out. But really... Did anybody actually think that that was going to happen? And these conspiracies of when Brandon Staley, the head coach of the Chargers, takes the timeout and things like this, and the going forward on fourth down when you're pinned inside your own 25. We can talk about the, the aggressiveness on fourth down. There are times when it's completely appropriate, more so than it has been the last couple of years because of analytics and the aggressive nature of these younger coaches. There's there's some times when you just don't do it. That was one of them. But not for one second do I believe that the Raiders were playing for a tie when they got the ball in overtime. Not not at all. These guys aren't wired that way. They're paid too much money. They work too hard. It means too much to them. There's too much pride on the line for these guys to intentionally tie a game. Do you think the Raiders care at all if the Chargers get in? Absolutely not. Why do they care? I'm just not to sit here and say they care if Pittsburgh does. And, and the same goes true for the Chargers. If the Chargers were in the position the Raiders were to win the game on a field goal, does anybody believe that they're intentionally tying so that they can both get in? No, they're going to win the football game and get in to the playoffs. That's the motto. That's the goal. There's no intentionally tying here. There's no conspiracy theory. Is it good TV? Is it good drama? Absolutely. Of course it is. That, that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> that's what the NFL is. But not for one second was anybody intentionally tying. But, man, what a game that was. I mean, and I talked about this last week with the Raiders, and I've said this multiple times. I wouldn't even sit here and, and tell you that I'm a Raiders fan. I would sit here and tell you that I'm a Derek Carr fan. But, man, the more I watch this Raiders team, they're, they're just kind of easy to root for. They are. And I think a lot of it has to do with Derek. I mean, you look at what this team has been through. John Gruden gets fired, you know, early in the season for an email scandal. They lose Henry Ruggs to a horrific and and really saddening tragedy with a DUI when he kills a woman. They have to cut their first-round corner from the same draft for a DUI. 
literally this week, they have another defensive player caught sleeping in his car on an overpass in Vegas. DUI. Despite all of that, Raiders are 10-7 and in the playoffs. What a job by Rich Passaccia, special teams coach that was upgraded to the interim coach after Gruden was let go. Good for Derek Carr, a guy who has stuck around with an organization who has given him every reason to ask for a trade, a guy that broke his leg in 2016 when they had a chance when they were going to the playoffs and couldn't play, a guy that's endured moving from city to city, from Oakland to Vegas. I mean, this team won multiple one-possession games down the stretch. They were clutch when it mattered most. And I don't know if anybody else is talking about this, but the Raiders are really, and at least Derek Carr, Derek Carr has to be in the conversation for you know potentially a top ten quarterback. Maybe not, but certainly in that conversation, he's got to be in between twelve and you know ten and thirteen. He has to be. And the numbers this way this year maybe don't blow you away, but the, we all know there's so much more that goes into it than just just numbers. Like we know that. And now they go on the road, and they're going to see Joe Burrow in the Bengals. I don't know if they win. I think it's going to be a fantastic game on Saturday. They're the opening game of the playoffs. I mean, that's going to be a really fun game. That's going to be a great game to kind of watch. And I'm looking forward to it. Now, if we zoom out and we look at the the overall kind of picture of what the NFL playoffs look like right now, by, a t- by this time I'm sure you know about it. Titans, Packers each have the bye in the AFC and NFC respectively. In the AFC, Chiefs, Steelers. Bills, Patriots, Bengals, Raiders. In the NFC, Bucks, Eagles, Cowboys, Niners, Rams, and Cardinals next Monday night. I don't know what else to tell you, but I, I'm not sure that Dallas could have drawn a worse matchup than than the San Francisco 49ers. I don't know how I feel about this one. I really don't. And yeah, listen, I get Saturday night. Dak and the Cowboys, they put up 51 points. He becomes the all-time, you know, sets a single-season record in Cowboys history for most touchdown passes in a season. They have 32 different players score a touchdown this year. That's wonderful. I like it. They were playing against backups in Philadelphia. They went 6-0 against the NFC East and 6-5 and against everybody else. They didn't beat any of the good quarterbacks. They lost to Kyler Murray. They lost to Tom Brady. These are teams that they're, they're going to see these guys, right? Like we we know this. We're, they're going to see those those quarterbacks. Who I mean, they beat Mike Glennon, okay. Tyler Heineke, Taylor Heineke, okay. Jalen Hurts, all right. Kirk Cousins, not in the playoffs. They did beat Justin Herbert, not in the playoffs. Not necessarily his fault, but not in the playoffs. They beat a young Mac Jones early in the season. Had to scrape out that win. I mean, I don't know. But this is not a good matchup for the Cowboys at all because the 49ers are playing really, 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 really good football right now. They're healthy, and they're going to gash up front. And that's really the matchup that bothers me when you look at San Francisco and Dallas is up front. This is an offensive line that has been touted for years, and rightfully so. This is a core that's been around a long time up front. Tyron Smith, Lyle Collins, Connor Williams, Tyler Biotis has now come in. Zach Martin, of course, Hall of Famer. 
but I, I don't know. I, I, I feel that just up front, I think the Niners are better. And I think that's going to that's gonna hurt Dallas. That's going to be the difference makers up front because San Francisco is going to run the ball. And while, yes, this Cowboys defense has been better this year and we should give them and Dan, Dan Quinn, Trayvon Diggs, Micah Parsons, of course, you know, defensive rookie of the year, they deserve a lot of credit for what they've done. Absolutely. Don't disagree. But I like San Francisco in this one. And I think the ability to run the ball and be more physical at the point of attack on the line of scrimmage is going to be the difference. You look at that defensive line for San Francisco. It's got Nick Bosa up there, Armstead. They've got Fred Warner. The secondary is where I think Dallas will be able to pick them apart a little bit. But that's not really going to matter if Dak's not going to have time to throw the ball. And I'm not going to sit here and say that he's just going to get bludgeoned back there. He's not. But if they can't run the football, then Dak's in trouble. And that's really where I worry about the Cowboys offensively this weekend because of that front, you know, that front four that San Francisco possesses. How well Dallas does completely depends on how well they run the ball. And this is not going to be an easy team to run the football against. We just saw the Rams this weekend. Another team a lot like Dallas, very talented can also be inconsistent at times and has to be able to run the football in order to have success offensively or they get in trouble. Happened to the Rams this weekend against the same 49ers team on the road. 49ers were on the road and that felt like a home game. And if you don't think that's going to be the case this weekend at AT AT&T, you're crazy. There's very few national football teams, national NFL teams that travel like the Niners do. Cowboys are one of them. Steelers are another. Packers, potentially. The Raiders, to a lesser extent. But really, Niners, Cowboys, Steelers, those teams travel everywhere. This is going to be a 50-50 game. And I know the Rams were up early. They were up you know, 17-0 at one point on, on the 49ers, but they couldn't run the football. And it was solely up to Matthew Stafford to figure it out. And I, as much as I like Stafford, and I do, and I like the Rams. I like McVay. I like Cooper Cup. Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, I like all these guys. Odell. But when you put the game in Matthew Stafford's hands, I don't know how well you can trust him. He led the league in interceptions this year. And I'm, Dak's not turnover prone like that. But again, if you can't run the football, and we know this with Dak, if they don't rush for over 100 yards, they're in trouble offensively. And I just feel this Niners team is going to give them fits. And we mentioned the Rams and the Cardinals. That's on Monday night. To me, this is one of those just, it's a pick em game. Pick your poison. Because each team has got such a high ceiling, but also they just have such, you know, they can each look really bad at the same time. Like really bad. Arizona did not look good to end the year. The Rams won. They won ugly, but they won. But there's still some concern there defensively. And, of course, we just talked about Stafford and how he has not looked good the last couple weeks either. That Cardinals-Ram game is kind of a pick em. In my estimation, I'm probably going to give the edge to the Rams because of the defense. But the other factor into this game is, Cardinals have J.J. Watt back. That's huge if he plays this game, and I would imagine he does. That's big if they can if they have him back. 
really, really, really big. But, again, these are two teams in, in Arizona and L.A. that high ceilings, low floors, they can look like world beaters, and they can look like they are the most inconsistent teams on the planet. And it's really going to depend on which one shows up for each team. The team that makes the least amount of mistakes in that game will probably be the one that wins. And that's cliche. That really goes for anybody. But with teams like this, with high-flying offenses, creative schemers, and Cliff Kingsbury and Sean McVay, I kind of give the edge just to the Rams because they've kind of been there before. They've got guys that have gone to Super Bowls. They've got Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, Sean McVay. Um, and I, I'd probably give the edge at quarterback probably, and I might regret saying this, to the Cardinals and Kyler Murray. But I think the real difference maker from here right now is the Rams defense. So I'm probably going to take the Rams in that game. So right now I've got Niners-Rams moving on. Last game in the NFC. Eagles-Bucks. I could just sit here and say Tom Brady and move on. I could. I could do that. That would be easy. and Perhaps it would be right. But it's worth giving a little credit to the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, the team that nobody thought was going to be here. And they're probably... One of the least talented teams to make it in this year. But, man, what a job by Nick Sirianni, Jalen Hurts. This is a really, really, really physical football team. Kind of like the Niners. They run the ball down your throat. They get after the quarterback. They're pretty solid in the secondary. This is kind of a sneaky game to me. It's just one of those games where you have a feeling like, could Philadelphia go into Tampa and win this game? And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Now... The winner of this game does go on to Lambeau. It's kind of a moot point, you know, in my estimation at least, because I have maintained for weeks that Super Bowl runs through through Lambeau and Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. That's just how I feel. But this Eagles-Bucks game, this, this kind of scares me a little bit. It does, because I think the Eagles have a chance to run the ball, control the clock, and keep Brady off the field. Now, the other side of that coin is that we know how good the Bucks are defensively. Now, a lot of these guys have been hurt, and they haven't been as good as they were last year. They are not clicking on all cylinders like they were going into the playoffs last year. And they had that great run in the season. It's very much the opposite this year. Of course, with all the Antonio Brown stuff, they've been banged up. They're without Chris Godwin. Leonard Fournette they haven't had. But... Again, this is kind of one of those games where I would not be shocked if Philadelphia comes away with the win. I might sound ridiculous after this weekend. That's totally fine. I might sound like a moron. But in my mind, I kind of like the Eagles in this one. I just do. I think they've got the ability to run the ball, control the clock. I don't have as much faith in Tampa's defense as I did last year. And I could be completely wrong. But I kind of feel like going out on a limb and going against the grain a little bit. And I'm going to pick the Eagles in this game. I am. So in the NFC, I have Rams over the Cardinals, Niners over the Cowboys, Eagles over the Bucks. I am really going to regret that last pick, but I feel like being ballsy. So so that that's the NFC. Flip over to the AFC. Titans have the number one seed, so they have to buy. Chiefs Steelers. Do we have to talk about this one? I mean, do we really have to talk about this one? I'm glad that Big Ben got in. Really, I am. Good for him. Earned it. But, I mean, at the same time, 
this isn't much of a fight. I mean, we know what Ben is at this point, and it's not great. I mean, they really had to claw out that win against against Baltimore, and we saw what happened. I mean, Pittsburgh was in Kansas City two weeks ago. They got beat thirty six to ten. That was a thirty to nothing game late. It was ugly. I don't even know if this one warrants a lot of consideration. Give me the you know, give me the Chiefs. This one, this next one. Ooh. How much pressure is on Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills right now? Hosting yet again the evil genius Bill Belichick, the New England Patriots. How much pressure is on this team right now in Buffalo? Think about it. This was a team who was 13-3, and had an MVP candidate in Josh Allen last year, had every reason, and had, in my estimation, I had them going to the Super Bowl last year. They didn't. They go to Kansas City. They don't, you know, they can't get it done against Mahomes. Come back this year, super inconsistent, you know, up and down. Number one scoring defense in the NFL. Josh Allen has kind of been all over the map this year. Time when he's been really good, there's been times when he's not very good. They're 11-6. They win the division. Last time New England was in Buffalo, we know what happened. Mac Jones throws the ball three times. They run the ball down Buffalo's throat in forty, to, you know, forty mile an hour weather. Uh, it's cold, snow, sleet, whatever. And there's snow in the forecast again this weekend. By the way, this game's on Saturday. Buffalo's got to win this. Big picture, they have to win this. There's no way that they can allow the Patriots, to come in there yet again. And I'm talking long-term. They cannot allow their big brother to come in and thump them out of the playoffs again. That's how much pressure is on this team. Because we've heard for year, for a couple years now, this is a Super Bowl-caliber team. They've got an MVP. How smart Sean McDermott is, their head coach. How good the defense is. You better hope that they win this if you're Buffalo. You, you have to win this. Because if you don't, people are going to start to question the legitimacy of this team. And it's not they're not talented. But if you want to go, you want to get where you're going, and you want to go, then you have to lay demons like this to rest. And you don't have a bigger arch nemesis than New England. And there's a history of this in Buffalo. We know they lost four straight Super Bowls, completely aware. It has never been done. It'll never happen again. So they have a history of not being able to conquer their demons. Perhaps this is the weekend they do. And I'm going to give Buffalo the edge because I think talent wins out in this game. And I just think with Mac Jones being a rookie and they just don't have the offensive personnel, I think Buffalo is going to be better prepared this time. And I like what I saw out of Josh Allen the last time they played in New England late in the season. Basically single-handedly won that game for the Bills. So I'm going to take Buffalo in that game. So I've got Chiefs, Bills moving on. Last game, and it's actually the first game on the schedule, and this is what we started our NFL talk with. Raiders, Bengals. I'd love to sit here and tell you I want, I'm going to take Derek Carr and the Raiders, but I'm not. I'm going to take Cincinnati, and here's why. I think offensively for the Bengals, we know how good they are. Joe Mixon, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, obviously pulling the strings with all of it. They're at home, haven't won a playoff game in like 32 years, something ridiculous like that, like well before I was ever even a thought, like 1990. 
I think this is the year they do it. And I've listen, I watched this Bengals team years ago with Andy Dalton and AJ Green and and all that stuff. I I've watched them lose wild card game after wild card game after wild card game after wild card game against Pittsburgh, Houston, Baltimore, you name it, New England. They just could not get out of the first round. I think this is the year they do it. I think the Raiders are one of the best stories in the NFL this year. And like I said, I am a de facto Raider fan. But how can you not love Cincinnati, the Bengals, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase? And the defense for Cincinnati is also very good. Like they have done a good job of kind of quietly rebuilding that defense. It's not spectacular, but it's good enough for an offense like that. I just think talent kind of wins out. And I like the Raiders. And again, I think the Raiders have some good pieces. I think the offensive line is solid. We know they have Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, Brian Edwards, Josh Jacobs. On the defensive side, you know, Max Crosby is an animal. They've got Yannick Ngakwe, uh, guys like that. Uh, and so, of course, they've got some guys in the secondary. Uh, and the linebacking core is solid as well. They've got KJ Wright, uh, guys like that. But. I think Cincinnati probably pulls away with this one. So <clears throat> those are my picks for the NFL. Run through them one more time. Again, Packers, Titans, you got the bye. They're off this weekend. So in the NFC, I'm going to take the Eagles. Gulp. Wish I hadn't said that. Niners over the Cowboys. Please don't kill me, Cowboys fans. I know there's plenty of you out there. Rams over the Cardinals. Kind of a pick game. I'm going to link, give the edge to the Rams. Uh... Chiefs over the Steelers. That feels pretty easy, I think. Better hope you win, Buffalo. Better hope you win, because I'm, I'm banking on you to win. I got Buffalo over New England and the last game. Despite Las Vegas being one of the great stories in the NFL this year, despite everything they've overcome, I'm going to take Cincinnati over the Raiders. Well, that's about all I have. I'm going to go ahead and get out of everybody's hair. appreciate you guys listening. Enjoy the football this weekend. Again, congrats to the Georgia Bulldogs. SEC is still king. I don't know what to tell you. We can talk about it all day long. Oh, we need parity. No, best team wins. We make fun of the slogan. It just means more. Hmm? Well, They just win more too. So what are you going to do about it? So, anyways, that's the LB Podcast. Appreciate you guys listening. My name is Layton Prater. Follow me on Twitter at PraterLayton. Follow the show on Twitter at underscore LB Podcast. You can find the show on iTunes and Spotify. Enjoy the football. We'll talk to you next weekend. See ya.